Hey everybody, welcome back to the Morloff Hour. Morloff Hour. <laughs> uh, this is me, your host, James, sitting here with my other host, Jack. Hello. And my other host, Nathan. Producer. We're here. We're back. Uh, this is uh, We had a lot of good reception to the first one, and we decided to keep doing it. Yeah, it's been a great time so far. I think we should absolutely keep doing it. It's going to be a good time going forward. We're back for episode two of the Morloff Hour. Yeah, we're back in the we're in uh, uh, ambient malt studios or whatever. <laughs> ambient grains. Ambient grains. Yeah, we're here. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Let's Guys, roll on into it. What was your favorite Iowa beer this week? Well, I get, I get, I can, I can start. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, so I uh, went up to ye old Amana uh, for a beer festival this weekend called mm. the Iowa Craft Beer Bash. So yeah. I got to try many different breweries' beers this weekend, but I was by myself, so I was very limited in what I could get to. But fortunately for me, I was right next to No Coast, and they actually had a really good Doppelbock that was about 10%. Oh, wow. And I think that was probably my favorite one. It was perfectly that perfect balance of like malty but not roast. Uh, nice caramel tones to it. Not a ton of raisin, but just nice, deep caramel flavor in it. And, uh, you know, being 10%, definitely got my whistle wet when I needed help. Uh, and they would kept feeding it to me every now and then when I looked like I needed a beer. They're very generous folk. They were very generous folk. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I was also at that festival. Uh, that festival is the Iowa Craft Beer Bash. Iowa Craft Beer Bash. Held by uh, Amana, the spiritual well, successor to not Amana Millstream. Millstream, yeah. Spiritual successor to um, the Festival of Iowa Craft Beer is what it was called. Uh, the Fall Festival of Iowa Beer. Yeah, it's very confusing compared to the Iowa Craft Beer Festival, which is bash. Every they called a bash. They did now. Yes. yes. Beforehand, yes. though, it was Brand not a bash. confusion. Yeah. Anyhow, I was. Uh, this is also. My favorite beer there also by, because we were right by them, but Alluvial had their Lost Tumbagas Hazy IPA with primarily El Dorado, I think is what I was told. It was very nice. I had a bit of it. I'm a big fan of El Dorado, though. Me, you are or aren't? Are. I'm a very big fan. Yeah, I like it a lot, too. It, it Nice tropical pineapple, a little bit of that dank to it, but not overwhelming, but like nice tropical sort of flavors after the good Eldorado. Yeah, I feel like I've gotten like cotton candy off of it too sometimes. Some sweetness. Yeah. And it was it was very good. Every everything they brought, everything everyone brought was super tasty. Also had a uh a smoked pineapple shandy from hot air that was really nice too. Oh interesting. Jay Wilson does do some interesting stuff over there. Yeah and it works. It yeah. was really tasty. He said he smoked the uh the pineapple himself. Oh, really? Yeah, it was awesome. That's was pretty like, cool. This is very good. I had to bring some back for Grace. I I had another smoked beer while I was there, too. The Confluence, uh, the IBU Open that they held. Oh, the Cult Rauch? Yeah, the Rauch beer. Um, mm -hmm. And it was uh, very good. And they were like, yeah, a lot of people don't understand it's a smoked beer, though. <laughs> so when people were getting it, they were like, oh, why is it smoky? I was like, well, that's kind of the point. Yeah, that was uh, Randy Daniels. And I can't. I think he was brewing with somebody else. These are home brewers here. Yep. But uh, yes, Randy's very accomplished, very good home brewer. 
Yeah, makes he, some very good beer. I believe he was the overall champion of the Iowa Brewers Union uh, competition. Oh, really? I think so. That does not surprise me in the slightest. A good guy. I yeah. met him a couple times. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's a very nice guy. Oh, uh, wait. What What was your favorite uh, beer of the past week from Iowa? So I've only had two beers this week. Oh. and wow. That's some good control. Well. Or you've only been drinking a bunch of two beers. <laughs> that could be the case. <laughs> no, I just haven't had the time. But I don't mean to kiss ass here, but I would say it is Nebulous, oh, which I'm drinking you. right now from Flick's Brewhouse. Oh. I'm a... I'm a haze head, like probably most people, and you know I like a good juice bomb. But this beer is really refreshing. Like it's really juicy, really hazy, but it has a nice uh, hot bitterness in its finish. And I wasn't expecting that, given the given the look of it, given the color. And I talked to Jack about this a little bit beforehand, and uh, gave him some high praise. So nebulous, yeah, nebulous. Flix Brew House. Um... It's on sale a lot. Sundays through Thursdays, $3 pints from 3 to 6. Come on down. It's real slow right now. We could use it. Come on down to Flix. If you're lucky. You can you, see us recording in the ambient crane room. Yeah. <laughs> uh, don't drink outside, though. Don't yeah, get them in please trouble. Please don't. Yeah, please. That'd be not very good. Now, if you want to put signs up on our window as we record, I fully support that. Yeah, you might make it on our social media. Get hype. Yeah, get hype. It's uh it's currently like seven thirty <laughs> on a Wednesday. But you know, it's definitely consistently seven thirty on Wednesday, except for last time we recorded wasn't seven thirty on Wednesday at all. Hey, and you know, and in, in the next few weeks, we'll see when it is. It's but true. probably seven thirty on a Wednesday. Count on it. Yeah, just show up, peek your head through the window, see if you can see us. Mics you- and headphones, that's your cue. Yeah, that means we're busy. So don't yell. You might pick it up. Anyways. So that was a, I don't even know, I don't know if we have a name for that segment, but, you know, we just like to hype up our fam, okay? We like to talk about favorite Iowa beers. Iowa's best beer of yeah. the week. Of the week? Uh, now let's get to our Q&A. Oh, yeah. Guys, we have another question, actually. Yeah, if someone wants to ask us questions, where can they also find a place to ask us questions? Excellent question. They can... Get a hold of us at the Vorloff Hour at gmail.com or the Vorloff Hour at iowabeer.org or any of our social media. Heck yeah. Which is attached in the show notes. Yeah, find I, it down below. Yeah. Just look up the Vorloff Hour. You're going to find it. Here. So this is from listener Todd Lincoln. Hi. I just learned about this podcast. I will try to start following, but with the news in the link below, I was wondering. What do you think about switching to self-distribution? Confluence does it still, and probably many more. So there must be pros versus cons to discuss. I'd like to learn more and thought of you as a possible future episode topic. Thanks, Todd. Very good question. A great question. So I can uh, shed a little light on at least uh, Jack and I's position. Situation, Situation, yeah. Uh, With current Iowa laws... Uh, there are different types of liquor licenses, and some of those restrict uh, self-distribution or encourage it. And we, as brew pubs, are not allowed to self-distribute. So we do have to go through distributors to get our beer out there to the people. So whether I would want to self-distribute or not, which is a whole other question, I'm legally bound to, my di- to a distributor. 
I, I don't believe it's mostly because we both also serve liquor on premise. Yeah, that seems to be the major issue. Although, however, and we'll, we'll talk about this in a bit, with a change on September 2nd, though, um, we are starting to see a slight merge in the two licenses, which is native breweries yes. and brew pubs. Yes. And Jack and I are both brew pubs. Brew pubs. What's the difference between a brew pub and like a native brewery? Also a great question. So a lot of it has to do with like native breweries, Confluence, Exile. Well, depends on what their license is at Exile. Confluence for certain is a native brewery. Um, you can even go to other places. A lot of uh, what initially separated them was beer and food generally being served in the same place and made in the same place, made you a brew pub mm-hmm. uh, versus native breweries that potentially have a tap room. And even in the past 10 years, that's changed because a lot of the people 10 years ago couldn't even as a native brewery have a tap room to sell to. Um, but the big differentiator before was it was very good to be a brew pub because you could sell your beer on site if, asterisk, you did a bunch of other stuff. And one of the things was having a kitchen and selling food. So you weren't just serving beer to patrons without any food or anything in front of them. Kind of archaic stuff that differentiates it. I mean, a lot of it's archaic uh, prohibition era or po- like just after prohibition era laws that really try to get down into the nitty gritty of what you can and can't do because alcohol exists there. And a lot of the laws haven't changed in a long time and are constantly needing updated. And the bigger beer companies kind of want to keep it that way. So they pay a lot of money on even state levels and on national levels to keep us that way. So that's one of the things that separates it. A lot of it was food before though, but you're seeing a lot of places now have food and beer and can self-distribute. And can self-distribute. And at the start of the new year, can also serve liquor and can self-distribute because of a license differentiation. Yeah, you're right. The liquor begins on the 1st. You're right, you're right. Yeah, it's January 1st for liquor. So like... And higher ABV beer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're now up to 19%. I believe so, yeah. Which is... Crazy. Insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but let's get, let's get that back... Diving into Todd's question, though, because uh, we could probably go off on our situations a lot sure. and how laws are affecting us personally. But like what? So his, I feel like his question is, what are the positives and negatives to self-distributing? Yeah, I and think it, that's the nut of the question. Yeah. And it's a lot of it is like size economics, basically, though, because like a lot of the positives come with having a bit of free agency. You you cut out the middleman. So the three tier system, right? You have to sell to a distributor and then the s- distributor sells to your high V, your gas stations, your everything like that. With a dramatic markup. Right. So if you're self-distributing, you can just cut down that loss. You can cut out that entire middleman. So you're reaping the benefit of not having to sell kegs for a lot less or beer for a lot less because it doesn't have to go through two different arms before it reaches the end consumer. It only has to go yeah. through yours. Right. I mean, that's that's probably the biggest positive, I would say. Yeah, I would say for for self-distribution. Yeah. Is that you have total control of where you're selling it, how it's getting there. The quality can be assured because you're there every step of the way with your beer, you know, set like driving it yourself in your van or whatever. So that's nice because like, you know, you don't once you once your beer leaves your tap room, you don't know how someone's going to treat that. That's true. So I think that is a big pro too. Yeah. A con is that you have to, or some some cons here, that you have to essentially start from scratch. You have to do all the legwork. 
for selling, um, getting out there, finding these accounts. And uh, it's not just bars. We're talking bars, restaurants, store shelves, all that stuff. You're doing yes, all of your own legwork for it. A hundred percent. And that can be a lot. You don't have the already put in place infrastructure that like doll 7G in Bev, all these other places have that can be taken advantage of. It comes with you not getting that 30%. Right. You know, that's pretty average right now for a distributor. Um, but you're also, you know, some of that goes towards what they already have. However, you don't have a personal face. You don't have Jack or I or one of a Flix or Cabco person coming to you to tell you about the beer. We have to rely on a rep at our distributor to we have to trust them to sell our beer. Yeah, represent us to the people we potentially want to sell beer to. Yeah, which, you know, there's headaches with that stuff sometimes. If my biggest account, 90% of what I sell is Budweiser, why do I care about someone who only sells maybe two barrels every month? Right, and and for larger independent breweries such as Confluence, who I believe Todd called out specifically, they have the resources to have a sales force to mm-hmm. have. And I mean, it's grown over time, but like most small breweries have the owner slash the brewer slash a couple employees. And if they're selling beer to an account, they're hauling beer over to the account and they're, you know, they're Honda Civic. They're, you know, they're Pontiac Vive, which is my car currently. They're literally <laughs> hauling that beer over there and having to do all of the marketing themselves. And you could say that, the 30% markup that the distributors do replaces the need for a sales force. But like you said, you have to trust that they're actually going to want to sell your beer and for them to want to sell your beer, you're spending time and money and resources interacting with and having FaceTime with the distributor anyway, that you could have then spent instead of that, that money on your own home front, building your own sales force, building your own stuff, investing into yourself versus investing into something that you don't get anything back from. You don't have any, employee buy-in to a distributor totally and sometimes you know it feels like you're doing damn near 90 percent of the work oh absolutely even now rustle up accounts and then you can tell we're a little bitter here but to like rustle up these accounts and then i have to trust someone else to to essentially carry the ball over the goal line right and i can't ensure that you know i would love to tell these accounts i will drop this off tomorrow for you instead i gotta be like well, you need to contact my rep to get an order in. I guess one thing that is nice about having a distributor, though, is on top of all that stuff is like in Iowa, guest draft lines generally are cleaned by the guest draft line owner. So um, say Confluence, they every two weeks, they have to come in and they clean all of their Confluence and Confluence distribution lines. So yeah, that's the bright side line. That's... Uh, the Hazelig line, that's all of those other lines that they have to clean. While if you're by yourself, you are the guy that's on the line for having to go clean those lines. Yeah, exactly. That's like, there are, there are pros and cons to both for sure. Yeah. I mean, in, in like, say someone in Dahl's reach is like far out in East Iowa. I mean, that's like right where it ends, right? It's like, I want to sell beer to Eastern Iowa, but I'm not going to want to drive an hour and a half to sell a $200 keg. So yeah. my time would be spent finding other accounts while there. Or signing up with another distributor. Right. Like to sell beer out there. Like at Court Avenue, we have two distributors for well, we have Dahl. Yeah. 
which is all their stuff. They do a lot of our beer. They do our ginger beer and stuff. And then we have Far, who does ginger beer. I've actually never talked to Far about if they would push beer up there because there was a lot of interest. Where is their zone? Is it far away? <laughs> far enough away for Dahl. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. That's uh, fair and it's far. <laughs> yeah, but they, you know, they, these people push a lot of our products. So there's no way Capco could handle the 50, 60 accounts we have for ginger beer, you know, on our own. Right. That's like an egregious amount for one little brew pub to take care of. Because I think, oh, geez, on a slow month, I'm maybe doing 18 barrels of distribution ginger beer and not the high end, you know, over 30. A month. A month in ginger beer. That's a lot of ginger beer. Yeah. It's a lot. If you ever, if usually if you ever see ginger beer on draft anywhere, it's Court Avenue. A lot of people don't realize that. Drink it up. Drink it up. Hey. Put it in your mules. Hey, hey, it's all about the Moscow mules, bro. I'm sure it is. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to think of some other positive things. So once you get big enough, though, you latch on Confluence specifically. Going back to Todd's question, though, Confluence not only distributes their beer, but they distribute a lot of other people's beer at this point. So it's kind of like a business within a business because they've gotten to that size. So it feels a little bit less like self-distribution at this point. And like yeah. they feel like a whole distribution network in, in of, of their own. And they, I know that they, because they're a local place, take less cut too and allow you a little bit more free agency. And because they're local, have a little bit more local buy-in and you know them and I can go down there and like everyone, like I can talk to anybody and they actually care or know about Flix or myself. Yeah. So I know that they're actually going to actively potentially pursue accounts, not pursue accounts, but like if I say, hey, I'm interested in this, they'll actually go and have good word of mouth for me at an account. Yeah, and you know, they're definitely bought in, like you're saying, to the craft part because you can trust these people to talk your product up, to be engaged and educated on your product. They sell the product just like they want to sell theirs and have a very good mind when it comes to it because they treat it like craft beer. You know why you started brewing craft beers? You wanted to make the best product for your community. And now they're to a point where they want to give the best product, whether that's theirs or not, to the community. Yeah, and their sales force isn't given their bonuses based off of case equivalents of Budweiser, like you said previously. Yeah. Is that a thing? Yes. Oh, boy. Well, that's fun. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to dog on my distributor too much because you know that's skin in the game. I mean, there's lots of people at the distributors that are good people that actually care, and for a long time, the ones that were at Flix or worked with Flix really did care. It's just comes and goes, and you have to rely on those people. And sometimes the like, not everybody's a good employee. Yeah, and what's driving them to do it if they don't have an investment? Like a lot of the people that worked for Doll cared about Flix because they brought their families into Flix and they knew about Flix because they would come here often. But I can't ask that of every single employee that works at Doll. That's yeah. a bit unfair of me to one of them. And, you know, honestly, because of just the relationship, sometimes I just don't feel like trying to network with them and do that stuff because it's like oftentimes outside of my work hours, blah, blah, blah. It's just like it's a social networking thing that I'm already having to do a ton of. And it just feels like a loss if they're not going to also try as hard as they can to invest in myself. Yeah, I mean, it's a two-way street. And uh, 
getting to that point though you're right is a lot of it's a lot of like rubbing elbows stuff like that you know things that uh as someone who's production not the biggest fan of talking to a lot of people for many hours a day i mean i'm fine with talking to people i'll I'll talk anybody's ear off about capco you're talking to us right now i know but (laughs) you know what i mean it's like talking to a distributor and like hey i'm the new like Let's let's talk about Cabco beer for two hours, okay? And I, you know, whatever we can do to educate your sales force, you know, like let's in, let's get them amped about it. That's like uh, it's a lot to ask of a brewer, I think. Yeah, specifically. And, yeah, like that should be. I shouldn't be the most passionate person about my beer at my brewery, or enough to where I I, I don't know about that. Well, you know what I mean. We're like we're. I just get sometimes like, damn, like someone else could take this meeting. That right. would be cool. Yeah. It's, but, it, it's for sure. It's a, it's definitely two way street and it's a game. And once again, though, if you go back to like a lot of our friends who just literally take kegs around in their cars, it limits that. And I can see the want of having a distributor to reach a more wide audience, but then you also come into the game of another downside to having a distributor is sometimes they want a certain amount of beer a month. And depending on your size can be hard to keep up with like, cause you can outstretch even for that. So being a self distribution, you control the flow, uh, which goes out if you're actually actively finding accounts. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's a fair point to the distributor as well. It's like, it's not just me. It's just us educating them and like getting them excited about it. It's also like, they it needs to be worth it on their end too, right? And they're like, "Well, can you push that weight?" And then maybe you come to find out, damn, maybe I can't, right? So that's something you know I haven't really considered. But sometimes my frustrations are just I just get frustrated sometimes. I'm like, "Why can't you do this?" But then I'm not always considering exactly what the position is that they're dealing with as well. You know? Yeah. I'm just rambling at this point. Nathan, thoughts on distribution, self distro. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the question I have, and maybe you guys can or can't answer this, but with, with Confluence, and again, they were the question, and they're the local self-distributor that we're, we're, we're talking about. Did they self-distribute as soon as they could have their stuff on store shelves, or did they start with the distributor and move to self-distributing? If you guys, either, either of you know I, that. I believe they were self-distro the entire time as soon as they could be. Um and then I know that they had their tap room immediately well, as it was opening. And then they've been self-distributing since they started because laws changed just over 10 years ago to be able to more independently self-distribute beer. So I believe, and John Martin, if you're listening, correct me if I'm wrong, or Josh or anyone of you guys, but I believe they were self-distributing the entire time they could from, from the jump. Because it's also hard to break the contracts with a distributor when you sign a contract with them in the first place. Yeah, there's a few breweries that have done that over the last year. Yeah. I think it was Fire Trucker, Lion Bridge. Yep. They both broke up with their distributor. Mm-hmm. And now they're self-distributing, which they must have seen a benefit in that. Right. You know, but I mean, to go back again to like a con, not quite, not a, a con, I don't want to say a con, but a problem that needs solved is again the infrastructure building that out it's not just like two people right you need like you need the van yep at least one and uh you know you need the people to go out there confluence has a full ass sales force like you're saying like they have people dedicated 
to like Eastern Iowa, Western Iowa, Southern North, you know, Central. Uh, I think possibly starting to branch out into other states. I, believe I don't so. know. I think they're across, at least I think they're across in Illinois now, I believe. Which is great because yeah. they need Des Moines IPA in there. Yeah, let them know. Des Moines IPA, it's out there. Or more of their hoppy lagers, honestly, in my opinion. I love they're that stuff. But Extinction event. Oh, love extinction. Also events. very good. Boy, what a what a nice way that those beers have evolved. Not to get on a tangent here or like digress. That's the but, whole point, though. Dude, the first extinction events, pretty good. Yeah, the extinction events now, really damn. Good. Well, they were using them as a way to experiment with hops, and like, and they keep building and changing and building and changing. That's one of the best things about that series is like they're not tied down to a single recipe because part of it is an experiment. So yeah. people aren't expecting the same exact. If you can get the consumer bought in on a changing experience with the same branding. So that way they know when they come into this, that it might not be the same beer as it was. It might not taste exactly the same. It's a win. It's a big win. Yeah. And I love it. Their tap room. Uh, I was there a few months ago uh, and they had like a sort of an AB series where they wanted you to like check in on untapped and be like, Hey, which one do you like more? And that was a pretty cool. Oh, I like oh, the that. test cool test batch hazy yeah test batches test yeah. batches oh I don't know if they've done one since but test batch three very good incredible incredible two is really good too well I, I hope that helps Todd <laughs> yeah Todd I hope literally any of this was helpful I think it was because we're very smart and informed we might be a little bit biased in our positions on the distribution side of things because we have to have a distributor and I wish we knew maybe we'll talk a little bit more next week or next time with Lua because they also self-distro. They do. But and that's next up on the docket. Well, yeah, we'll save it for them for sure. Yeah. Their, their whole model. Um, and also, I just want to say real quick, any opinions I have personally do not reflect on uh, the Court, career that I do work. Court Avenue. Yeah. Any opinions I have are always reflected by Flix Brewhouse <laughs> LLC. Don't know. It's not true either. <laughs> They're of my own opinions. Yeah. Any opinions I have do not connect to any breweries, but are just for the normies out there. Shout out to the normies. Shout out to the normies. That's why we do this. And because it's fun to sit in a grain room and talk. It's nice in here today. Ambient grain studio. It's very chilly. It It feels very good. I could almost be wearing a hoodie. It feels like fall in the grain room right now. That's the season we're working into. I should have had a, 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 a crew neck. At a mana. Guys, look at the jack-o'-lantern I cut and put into the green room just for this one show. Oh, it looks very nice. Yeah, I cut it myself. Do you guys have any fall beers that you're working on that you're excited about? Oh, yes, actually. Um, uh, Lucas Greta, uh, the other brewer here at Flix. Um, shout out, Lucas. Shout out, Lucas. He's been working on this beer to guard that's taken a million years. Just it been in the works. It's a beer of keeping anyway. But we're yeah. trying to figure out a way to release it. And one of his ideas was to make a rum, apple, pie spice, cardamom tincture, basically, and dose part of this beer yeah. with those flavors yeah. and, and put it out as like a like an autumnal warmer. You know, it's going to be like 8.5% or something like that. It sounds excellent. Infused with the apple pie spices and all that sort of stuff and just in the rum to get like a nice, like molasses-y sort of backbone to it and put that out. And uh, it's going to be called pie oh my and uh should be coming out at the end of september i perfect for the the spooky season i'm so excited for that it sounds so good 
Uh, personally, I have my famed peanut butter porter that I'll be brewing next week. Actually, by the time you hear this, it will be in the tank fermenting. Heck yeah. And then uh, we're actually doing a whole day based around it, October 13th, which I think will be... I I cannot remember the release schedule, but I think you'll be hearing this beforehand. So we will. Come on out. Yeah, should be right before, like a couple weeks before, right? Oh, perfect. Yeah, so come on out, you know, to Peanut Butter Vibes Day. We're doing Peanut Butter Vibes, which is just a peanut butter porter. It's the peanut butter porter. The Iowa. The. And then a peanut butter jelly vibes. Oh, okay. How are you doing the jelly? Okay. I don't know. Oh, okay. It's but a secret. I'm doing Industry it. Secret. I've already committed to it. He's going to tell us after the podcast is over, just so you guys can't hear I'm it. He's going to throw a bunch of Concord grape jelly in there and blend it up. Mm-mm-mm. So Concord. Nebulous was my favorite Iowa beer, but I had a second favorite that was a P- PB&J stout or PB&J oh. porter. P- no, PB&J sour. From Iowa? Yeah. Barntown. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like didn't think I would like it, but I was like really surprised at how much I liked it. <laughs> what Did it taste exactly like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it was really, really nice. Oh, my God. Yeah, I kept seeing the ads for it, and I was like, "That's that sounds super fun. Confluence did it like two years ago. They did it in two different cans. You can mix it together yourself. Yeah, it was good. That's fun. Mix four-pack. I'll have to hit them up and see what they did for the jelly. Yeah, I'll need to be convinced otherwise, but I'm a little nervous when there are like fruited slash sour stouts or porters. Because mm. in my mind, I'm like, did you just have an infection and you're now trying to hide it by by saying it's a like a a fruited sour or something <laughs> fruited sour or something like that? And I get that that's un, that's un, unfair, but it, that thought has crossed my mind. <laughs> I mean, I, I think back like it's it, it your mistrust is not misplaced because in the past <laughs> it has been that way, or a lot of people were using it as a cover up. But we've come a long way in like a fairly short amount of time, especially within the brewing scene in the Midwest or in Iowa in general, where if like if people are putting it out, it's generally on purpose and it's generally doing exactly what they wanted to do, especially with like the scene of just over fruiting stuff and like that. It's it, like in the past, maybe it was trying to cover something up, but a lot of the times now it's a, a purposeful, very, very, very purposeful. And I think that everything's grown up a lot since yeah. a few, like even a few years ago, you can trust more of the, things you see with like weird abstract stuff yeah yeah, and you and you dear listeners cannot see this but i'm nodding along in appreciation and agreement and understanding (laughs) understanding is something that you gain over time yeah that's how we can do fruited uh stouts now well sours oh and fruited stouts sour stouts i believe it was a fruited sour stout right yeah that does not sound appealing to me in the slightest. <laughs> what if it was cranberry, blueberry, brownie stout? Sour too? Yeah. I mean, those fruits are pretty sour anyway, so why not? They're tart. Yeah. I mean, if they're in there with brownies, that's fine. But if yeah. you were intentionally souring that stout... I put I 150 sa- pounds of brownie in this sour stout, and then I also put... And it's it's not crazy low pH, but like, you know... Right in that wheelhouse where it's like, oh, it's just tart. No, probably not. I don't like dark sours. That's fair. You don't have to like everything. I know. That's I'm the just, magic of it wouldn't be, it's the it magic was, of beer drinking. What if it was a stout that had brownies and fruit in it? Yeah. 
then I'm more into it. And then but sour. It, no, now I'm lost. Well, then you are lost. But it's going to be a little sour from the fruit. Yeah. Like yeah, some of those juices. That's different than you intentionally souring the beer. You can have sour anything. I do. You can have I sour just, cheese. It just doesn't vibe with me. Sour cheese is great. Sour cereal. I'm out. I'm back out. All right. You know. Sour ham. He was. That's bad. That's uh, would that be like pineapple ham? That's yeah, not quite pineapple sour. ham. Right. Sour bread. There we go. Back on track. Oh, Sourdough. Yeah, Sourdough. Yeah, hell yeah. Oh, we're back on top. We're here. Here we go. We're back. So, uh, Todd, hope you appreciate it. Thank baby. you, Todd. Hey, if you guys want to write in, remember to email us at the Vorloff Hour at gmail.com or the Vorloff Hour at iowabeer.org. Yeah. Or find us on socials at the Vorloff Hour. Yeah. Everywhere. 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 Or on your favorite podcast service around the globe. Follow Flix TikTok. Follow Flix <laughs> yeah, TikTok. At Flix Beer DSM. You can comment there and I'll see it, but I'll be like, why are you commenting this here? This has yeah. nothing to do with the Vorloff hour, but I appreciate you for finding me. Mostly Lucas. He's the star. He's a beautiful man. He is a beautiful man. He's a beautiful man. <laughs> well, shall we get into uh, the next bit? Yeah, our next segment, which is um, news about beer. Yeah. Specifically, this is Iowa beer. So we mentioned it earlier, but September 2nd, there was a change Mm -hmm. to the legislation that took effect immediately. And I will read just a touch about it. I'm not going to read the whole thing. We kind of touched on a little bit of it. We did a little bit. Yeah, diving into Todd's question. Iowa brew pubs are allowed to sell the beer they manufacture and package in original unopened containers at their brew pub location for off-premise consumption without that beer going through a beer wholesaler. So for beforehand, if I had a canning line mm-hmm. or a bunch of crowlers, I had to sell them to my distributor and buy them back to then sell them to off-premise consumers. Right. So people that just want to take some beer home. Yep. Now I can package it at my place. And we're not talking crowlers. We're talking an actual canning lines coming through and you're canning it. Yes. They can now just be sold directly out of your taproom. They no longer need to be sold to your distributor and bought back. Right. And then resold again for a weird And then resold again, yes. So, and a lot of this doesn't, like, it. that'd be great if we had canning lines. Yeah. That would really help us right now. Mm -hmm. But we do not have, neither of us have canning lines. We do not have canning lines. But, Big Grove canning line. Mm -hmm. Especially, specifically the Des Moines location, if they're going to put a canning line in there. Yeah. They're basically operating as a brew pub, and now they can can and sell straight to them, straight to the people at in Des Moines. Yeah, or bottles too, or bottles. Yeah, absolutely. Any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Now just straight to the consumer. So that's a big win. We also have some other things coming up on the horizon, which we mentioned beforehand too. Mm-hmm. But the higher ABV limit. Yep. The liquor. The liquor for native breweries. For native breweries. So that means I can go down to seventeen seventeen, and possibly get a cocktail. Right. Which is huge. Yeah, I'm going to go to... Yeah, but I, it's not for us. It's not for people like us. But it definitely helps. Like, not everybody go, that goes to a brewery or goes with people to a brewery wants to drink beer. No. And they, this just gets more like... You'd be more like... If your friend that doesn't like beer could mm-hmm. be more likely to go out mm-hmm. to a brewery that you wanted to go to because they have the liquor now. Yeah. Yeah, and I love breweries that use their beer in their food. So, like, they'll cook with their beer. There could be some cool ways where breweries could be making house cocktails that have as, like small amounts of their beer or aspects of their beer 
they figured out how to how to use that beer maybe in a cocktail which could be which could be cool now i know kinship does a bit of that at least they did when they first opened they had beer based cocktails yeah but those didn't have liquor in them at the time they had bitters and other sort of flavorings and stuff but now going forward they theoretically could be doing it with some actual liquor as well because i know that they were doing a lot of spritzers a lot of other beer stuff they had liquor the in it. did they they're with doll Oh, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they. they well, I mean, like but a, now they can do. Now other people can do it too. Yeah. The first thing that comes to mind is seltzer and sours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Throwing a little bit of stuff in there, you know, that definitely uh, kind of zhuzhes it up. Soccer moms, you know, a seltzer with some vodka. That or the soccer dads. Or soccer dads. Yeah. I think of a Corona Rita. If you have like your own yeah. style of beer that's similar to Corona, you make your mm-hmm. own margarita. Corona I mean, Rita. We, we uh yeah so we actually well I mean we already have liquor we've done that in the past we uh we called it a lucha rita it was yeah. not every flicks location could do it because Texas and other places are weird with their laws but we've definitely done a lucha rita before where it's uh lucha libre the Mexican lager with uh margarita it's very good but yeah there could be way more upscale more interesting things than just shoving beer into a margarita for sure. So with, with the change to the laws where breweries and brew pubs can sell their canned stuff direct, they don't have to sell it to distributors, like the law we're talking about, does this mean more money in breweries' pockets or lower costs for consumers because they're not having to do a markup? So generally, they'll still charge the same amount you see at the store. So if you go down to Confluence, this is not a brew pub, so theirs hasn't changed. But if you go down to Confluence, it's still going to be a $10 four-pack of beer. It's more money in the brewery's pocket because they're not having to buy it, sell it, and buy it back. And that's how Crowlers and Growlers worked in the past, too. You had to sell it to a distributor and then buy it back and then sell it again. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, so it's more... And oftentimes, you will get the question and... Uh, shout out to Beer Aficionado on TikTok. He work, he's Doug Vlicky, I think. He works for Revolution in Chicago. Uh, he did a lot about this because they're a huge brewery that does a lot of distribution with a distributor. And the question was, oh, you sell this at your store. Why aren't we seeing a lower cost for you? They actually, in Chicago, their beers actually cost slightly more at their brewery than they do on store shelves because they're not trying to compete like, they don't want to compete with themselves and their distributor because they oh. want the distributor to be happy with them and all that stuff too. So they're playing a different political game. So it's like a dollar more six pack at the location versus the gas station like a block away because they aren't wanting to compete with themselves at that gas station. Sure. So it's but theirs is a problem of scale. They're huge. They're then that's why they're doing it. But here, oftentimes they will be the exact same cost, but that just means there's more money going to the specific brewery's pocket, even if they're self-distributing. Yeah. Like out the door, you're selling it for more of a loss out on store shelves than you are through your own uh, door over yeah. the counter. Absolutely. I, if I were in that position where I no longer had to send it to my distributor, I don't. I I wouldn't lower costs. You know, the consumers already ready for that price, mm-hmm. so may as well pocket what I have. Right. You know. And you don't want them to come in and be like, not buying it on Hy-Vee's shelf, yeah, because it's more expensive than, like, I guess there's not a Hy-Vee there anymore, but like two blocks away. Imagine if mm-hmm. from Court Avenue there was Court Avenue beer on that shelf, but the consumer goes, oh, but I could go a block away and just buy it from Court Avenue for two to three dollars cheaper. Yeah, no, you don't want to. 
you're competing against yourself at that point and you're selling it there to sell. So you're not going to do that to yourself. You're generally you're going to keep it the same. For sure. Or at least that's what everyone's doing seemingly to do re- doing right now in Iowa specifically is that that's what we're doing. Or that's what I've seen generally. It's that it's the same price. Even yeah. at Millstream, uh, for example, we were there this weekend. They were selling Millstream root beer, Millstream uh, shield brow, all that sort of stuff. And it was the same exact cost. You could find it in a store. They're just yeah. keeping it, keeping that cost. For sure, 100%. Especially if you're with a distributor. So I think overall, really, with these changes on September 2nd and what's coming here soon, too, is we're starting to see a folding in of the two licenses, mm-hmm. which is beneficial to everybody. Right. I think craft beer in Iowa is becoming more powerful, having more of a swing where we can be a little more loud in our demands and wants. And it's a, this is a good step forward. Absolutely. So I celebrate it. Yeah, me too. I, I mean, I wish I could take more advantage of it. Like, I wish I had a canyon line to take advantage of totally. that. Or like, you know, even with the liquor stuff, I, I'm hoping that maybe they can keep pushing and uh, Flicks being not exactly the same as everybody else. I'm hoping that I can also then take advantage of maybe being able to find a different distributor or start self-distributing mm-hmm. myself. Totally. Um, this, is my, this is my goal. No offense, doll, if you're listening. Hey, I'm in the same way, you know. I would like, or at least a renegotiation, perhaps, you know. Yeah. Depending on some things, like giving up a little bit of power from the distributor's perspective, putting it more into our hands. The more power that's with the guild and with breweries in Iowa, the better beer will be in Iowa. Yeah. And the the more promotion of craft in Iowa will be. Totally. And we still have so much room to grow that it, it... it just needs to keep going and we need to keep pushing. Hell yeah. Absolutely. And we'll keep you listeners abreast on any changes that happen. You know, it affects us and we're going to make it affect you. Please buy our beer. Please buy our beer. Support us. Or any Iowa craft brewery, please. Speaking of any Iowa craft brewery. Go ahead. The Morloff Hour in the feet of the Vorloff Hour is brought to you by the Iowa Brewers Guild. Heck yeah. They're the ones who make this possible. They're the ones who made that legislation possible. They're a driving force for the culture of Iowa craft beer. And we couldn't be more thankful. They let us talk on these mics to talk to you. And you guys listen to us and visit our festivals and support us. And what exciting times. So shout out for the Iowa Brewers Guild. Shout out. Let's get to the next segment. Yeah, I'm excited to get to this next one. <laughs> we I'm need thirsty. To, we need to tell everybody when we go to the next segment. I mean, every time. It, there's no yeah. se- there's no seamless transitions or really great throughputs. It's just all and now this. But do 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 next segment. I love it. Nathan knows what he's doing. Beer drinking time. I think. So what's our next segment? So we talked about this earlier, the seller challenge. Seller challenge. So we're just going to rotate. We're just going to rotate every time and grab a bottle from our seller. Because we talked about earlier, all of our sellers are way too big. Very and full. Personally, my wife. My wife. Is not happy about it. She's like, you, we, need to, we need to either start drinking those or you need to do something with those bottles. And I'm like, bet. I could have a bigger seller. So bring your overfilled seller listeners to me. Thank you. Easily. Easily. You're going to be spoiled here, Nathan. Well, what, are you, what are we cracking on into this evening from your beautiful cellar? Yeah, so I brought 
Requiem, mm-hmm. a barrel-aged stout from our good friends at Lua that was adjuncted with coconut, cinnamon, and cacao nibs. It's uh, Last time I had it, it's been a while. Um, it was like a Mexican uh, fried ice cream. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, so let's crack into this baddie. Yeah, was this one the one that was released last October? Or... Um... Yeah, because I think we actually... At my Halloween party, I believe. Opened a bottle. Yeah, I believe so. This was released with two other here, maybe, which was just a straight barrel aged out with vanilla. I thought there was also just a. Yes, yeah, you're right. Um, They're both the yellow wax. Yeah, the yellow wax. A lot of yellow wax. There seems to be a lot of wax on this. There's a lot of wax. Who waxed this? Yeah, a crazy person. So the day beforehand, when they were waxing these bottles, I dropped by. Um, and I was like, hey, guys, what's up? Not and much. They're like, "Not hey, you know, just we got a million bottles to wax. And I'm like, oh, I'll start waxing some bottles just for fun. I was I had, I had a few beers already. Yeah, clearly, <laughs> clearly based off the wax job on this bottle. Yeah, you'll see it in our feed. We took a picture, but it is an egregious amount of wax. It's like five solid centimeters. <laughs> it took like 10 minutes to get into this bottle. Yeah, it was a few dips. A knife, a key and a bottle opener were used. <laughs> Listen, when you give a man two to three loggers, when you give a man a beer, when you when you give a mouse a cookie, drink him for a day, but teach a man to brew and he drinks for a lifetime and then wax bottles poorly. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's the peak of home brewing. Or beer collecting. Have you seen that? Some like beer nerds like will wax other bottles. Yes. Like, because they think it keeps it better. Wax. Yeah. Oh, untrue. <laughs> I don't, I don't, or I, I don't know if there's actually depending on the to depending that. on yeah we can get into it on some other day but, but depending on the depending on the wax you use it actually as it gets cold and con, like gets warm and contracts and expands and contracts it can actually pull away from the bottle cap uh, so if your cellar's not a great condition and you're just waxing things it'll actually pull at it instead of the bottle cap just being still and not being messed with at all by anything. Oh thank oh, you! Wow, I just got a whiff of that. Let's hear this. We're not going to lick the table. James is now pointing at the we table. We just have the same two glasses. So I'm trying to get it. Nathan to try to lick the table. And we aren't table lickers here. Speak for yourself. Whoa. Whoa. Get me in here. Save the recorder. And now he's looking. In. James, you can't just make Nathan. He's the producer. You can't just make him drink it off of his hands. Actually, so we didn't even give him a cup. He just was holding his hands out in a little cup formation, asking yeah. for the beer. Nathan has it scooped into his hand. <clears throat> Best way to drink beer. It's thick. It's, <laughs> it's thick like the aroma. It smells like um, beautiful. It's almost exactly like you said, fried, like the Mexican fried ice cream, like beautiful, like spicy, cinnamony sort of thing going on. Um, it's like syrup, like chocolate syrup as well on there. Oh, just like if you were to like take fresh chocolate, heat it up, spice it, yeah, and then just pour it straight over the ice cream. A hundred percent. And the coconut gives it such a nice sweetness and adds to the body, which this is already a big thicky, right? We're looking at fourteen and a half percent. Yeah, there's a little heat on the nose, but it's nice. Yeah, but the heat really melds well into yeah. everything else yeah. on there. It's not like off putting at all. It's just like, yeah, it smells like it's strong, and well, cause it is strong. But yeah, I, I'm like. 
I'm getting a little bit in the chest. I get a little bit of chest heat in there, but it's honestly very nice. It's very nice. Now, I already know the Young King himself loves uh, this style of beer. Uh, Nathan, Mr. Producer, what are your thoughts on pastry and like <sighs> thicker stouts? Given to me all day, any day, any time of the year. Really? Yes. Oh, <laughs> I guess I'm the outlier here. Like, I, I they've been co- becoming a thing for years now, and it's just like it's one of those ones where I'm like, I'm having trouble coming to grit. Like, I only need about two ounces of it. Like, what, oh, what, for what sure. we're having in our glasses right now is probably as much as I need in an entire evening. Yeah, and it's definitely more of like a, a nightcap situation, mm-hmm. an end of service situation. A, I'm not starting with this if I was going to go to Lua. Oh yeah. Well, I mean. I might, but it might be the only thing I get there. Right. Like yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm content to have this much, and that, that's all I need. And a beer like this deserves to be shared with friends. Absolutely. And I think it, that's that's kind of how I go about it with big old high ABV stouts, pastry stouts, barrel aged stouts, or double and triple IPAs, like, or or like crazy uh, overly fruited sours. Like I want to share those with people because it's an experience. Yeah. I'm not drinking a full 16 ounce can no, yeah. of like some of those big, overly fruited sours that we're seeing right now. Like I'm splitting that amongst at least three people. I, I it I like more bitter, more herbal foods and stuff. So and even in beer side, like the stuff that's sweet kills me often. And the more and more I have them, the more and more I can appreciate the sweeter side of these beers. It's just it's taken me a long time to get used to, and definitely during like. They started exploding during the pandemic times, and I wasn't actually brewing at that time because I was furloughed. So it actually took people like James and other people I met uh, online to actually get me to try some of these. And I was like, I feel like I've been gone for ten years out of the brewing scene because yeah. I'm like, I, I was like, I don't like. And at the start when I was trying them, I probably wasn't trying the best ones because I was getting the ones that I could find at Hy-Vee or anything like that, and it wasn't exactly the top of the crop, right? But when other people started bringing me the better ones and finding better examples of them, I can more appreciate them. It took, it's been taking me a long time and it's still like, it's too sweet for me, but I'm finally starting to get to the point where I can start like better appreciating them because it takes four sips to get used to the sweetness and then I can start getting to the flavors underneath. Yeah. And like, I, as much as I love big, thick pastry styles, I'm also really impressed when I've, found brewers that have done just straight imperial stout where it's like as thick as this but it's just roasty and like dark and like kind of abrasive like uh see that's that's the kind that i like better too um they aren't because the roast and some of that stuff balances out the sweetness where these kind of focus on it but the key with a lot of things like that lua does that dimensional does that pulpit does is that they strike the balance and they also do it right. They're not just shoving 8,000 pounds of whatever in there just to do it. They're actually making a great base beer to put all of this stuff on top of because they also sell the base thing without the adjuncts. Yeah. And you can go, damn, this beer is good. That's that's the key there. I think the key to these bigger beers, especially when you're building them for barrels, is your base beer. Right. I think, or I know, you know, pulpit, and Dimensional, and Lua, are Mardo, too. Yeah, Mardo as well. We don't get a lot. At, I don't get as much of Mardo's beers sure. around here, so. Which would be great to get more of their stuff. They do have a canning line now. Eric, you're listening. Eric? He's not listening. Rod. It's fine. 
We'll see you soon, okay? Next year. We're coming over. Um, but, you know, they have, like, these, like, killer bases for these sweeter, bigger stouts, right? Yeah. They're survivable in barrels. They're fantastic when it comes to adjuncting. They're great by themselves. You know, mm-hmm. d- specifically, Dimensional does a... When they do these releases, you know, they'll do, like, a pastry, whatever. You know, like, Hank was a recent one. You know, that's loaded with, like, peanuts and a whole bunch of other stuff. And then they'll follow it up with Sacrificial Activities, which is just barrel-aged out. That's all it is. So it's, like, it's cool that they're always giving you one of each. Like, it, it like, goes in a pattern, right? Sacrificial Activities, Pastry Stout, Sacrificial Activities, whatever. Right. That's generally how it seems. And, you know, Lula with uh, this Requiem. Oh, Blubber, you know, is a recent one that uh, is just a blend of barrels. I believe you also shared some of that with me as well. Blubber? Yeah. I don't think so. I haven't opened my bottle yet. Isn't that the one we had at Lua that day? What day? Uh, The day that you were doing Proxima with them. We had it at the table. It was at the end of the day. We wandered into your collab day. Is that not the one that we had at the table? The three of us? Oh my God, I don't know what we had. I I believe, if correct me if I'm wrong out there, somebody, Pete, he's there too. <laughs> I believe that was what it was. Maybe. When was it released? Uh, Maybe a month, month and a half before that. Okay. So perhaps. It could be, yeah. Yeah, it could have been. Anyhow, point being, you know, it's, it's, it's cool to see these like big stouts. I see, I always see them as a challenge, like something I want to master because creating something like this is so cool to me. Um, so when I get to drink these, it's just like, <clears throat> you know, if you were like an author, a, a, a burgeoning author or whatever, or an amateur, whatever, you read a good book and you're like, damn, I want to do that someday. Watch a good movie. I want to do that someday. That's what I want to do. I want to do this someday. I'm pretty sure that I, I bet other people would tell you that you've probably done this already and you're just not willing to accept it for yourself. I don't. Because as other artists, you're always pining after other people's art. Yeah, maybe, but no, I haven't done anything this good yet. That's what you yet. said. You're always your harshest critic, though, especially well, yeah. in brewing and art in general. Oh, for sure. But this is great, though. Thank you for sharing this with us. Dude, I love this beer. I'm glad we get to sip on it for the rest of the episode. Um, I guess chug it if you want to. I'm not trying to chug it. I just think, you know. It's so good. It's like ice cream to me. It's it so is. Good. It's like a pulpit. Pulpit stouts, too, are like super duper sweet, and I love that. But like you're saying with the balance, the way that these folks use their adjuncts is just phenomenal. So glad we get to share it. Um, I don't know who has it's one of you guys has next. Nathan. Yeah, I've got some stuff that uh, needs to be drunk soon. I've got do it. I've got next after that, I guess. Yeah. then that's the rotation. I've got one that'll murder us. It won't be fun, though. Oh, (laughs) Hey, I'm. I, I'll not, save the mystery, though. Not everyone has to be a banger. It just has to come out of your cellar. Uh, hey, you know, I'm just going to throw it out there. It's a stone beer, and uh, you know, oh. it's not going to be a good time. It's not the Woot Stout, is it? I got one. No, of those no, no, as well. no. It's not Woot Stout. It's oh, just uh, they made two beers in the past that no one should ever drink and shouldn't be made for human consumption, <laughs> and that it's we're going to try it. Yeah, it's one of those. I'm into that. It's a little teaser for the uh, the audience. Maybe they know what it is. That's content right there. That's content. Cool. All right. Well, 
That was the seller challenge. The challenge is the seller, and we're getting through them. And now to another segment that we mentioned. Did we mention last yeah, time? Yeah, we mentioned it last year. I think we toyed around with it. At least if we, if we didn't on here, we definitely did it in person. And I mean, we're going to have to restate what the whole object is anyway. I'm going to throw it to Nathan. He's the one that came up with the idea. The ideas man himself. Yeah. Yeah, so our next segment is Mount Rushmore. So we will list off for each of ourselves Mm -hmm. this week the Mount Rushmore of Iowa beer. For future weeks, we could choose the Mount Rushmore of macro beer, the Mount Rushmore of regional craft, Mount Rushmore of stouts, Mount Rushmore of any other styles. You know, we've we've got weeks we can go. But today, we're kicking it off with the Mount Rushmore of Iowa beer. Okay. And that'll mean whatever that means to you. So I can go first, just yeah. to give a just to give do an example. Do, do you want to do one at a time, and then let's, like, we can go through the whys? Because we might all have similar... We might, maybe, have ones that are also on the same thing. So if like one person says one that's on yours, we can chime in and also say that that's on ours. And why, potentially? Or should we just go... One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. I think we do it like that because then our whys encompass the whole the whole thing mm. at the end. And again, mm. Mount Rushmore, four. I got a little bit confused of that in my head earlier, <laughs> but there are four faces on Mount Rushmore. So that's four yeah. beers for the Mount Rushmore of Iowa beer. So Let's I will go it. first. My Mount Rushmore of Iowa beer are Exiles Ruthie. Mm-hmm. Toppling Goliath's Pseudo Sioux, Confluence's Des Moines IPA, and a second for them, Toppling Goliath's KBBS. Oh. Okay. Okay. So any of you guys can go next, and then I think we can uh, explain our reasonings why, as to not try and incept our reasons into each other. Jack, James? I've got a pretty solid one. I think you guys will all uh, hopefully agree with it. I've we, I got a couple that are the same as yours, but I mean, there's probably similar reasons why they're on there. One, and they're not in any particular order. Like, that's not why they're not in a number. Oh, yeah, one my, mine four wasn't one to four either. You got one, Blanc Fatale from Peace Tree. Okay. Two, Shilbrow from Millstream. Three, Des Moines IPA from Confluence uh, Brewing Company. And then four, I also have uh, Pseudo Sue from Doppelin Goliath. Okay. The young king himself. The young king. So mine would be in no particular order. Pseudo Sue from Toppling. Shield Brow from Millstream. Exi- er, Ruthie from Exile. And Des Moines IPA. Clearly these are my biases uh, with like being where I am in Des Moines. But those four, to me, like, for modern Iowa craft beer, it's hard to. I'm actually kind of surprised that we all had similar ones because I, w- yeah. I was thinking that potentially someone would go down the not quote unquote why it matters for Iowa beer, but like what is current, what's happening, like the now Mount Rushmore, the hype Mount Rushmore, oh, yeah, the, like the Easy Eddie, yeah, the yeah, like the Big Grove Easy Eddie, the uh, Lua Blank, the Neon from Barntown, right. stuff like that. That was like the f- like forefront of what has made Iowa Craft Beer popular in the last few few years. But it seems like we've all taken a more quote unquote historical step down the line. Yeah, uh, to uh, pick the four. Yeah, I mean, my approach for that was like 
for almost all of them is like if you go into almost any high V or run of the mill town bar across the state, what are you going to see? Like, I know yeah. I'm going to, if I go up to Northwest Iowa where I'm from, I'm going to be able to find Ruthie mm-hmm. in some bar. And that might be the only craft beer I can find in that bar, but I know I'm going to be able to find it. And I feel like Toppling Goliath's Pseudo Sue and Des Moines IPA are in the same range where it's like you're going to find that as their flagships across the state when you might not be able to be able to find any other Mm -hmm. Iowa craft beer. Mm -hmm. And the reason I chose KBBS, because you will not find that across the state. (laughs) But as far as I can tell with, you know, after uh, three, three Floyd's Dark Lord, KBBS is the whale that put Iowa beer on the map across across the country like people hunt for that yeah and did for a long long time yeah but i feel like it it sort of has followed dark lord in its emphasis infamy yeah i i I sort of agree with you there but it's just uh when when you say beers from toppling goliath yeah maybe that was the whale they were hunting but then they would be like what can I actually get from there? And that's when they turned to pseudo Sue. Right, right. And there's a reason they weren't churning out KBBS at the giant factories that they had opened in Florida and Minnesota. Right, right. They weren't churning that out. They were churning pseudo Sue out and they were churning like approachable beers for a right. more wide audience. And right. I think well, for sure. that's why they're, that's why I have the pseudo Sue on mine. I'm, maybe when it's, it's still same. on my list too. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's the same reason as you, but it's like for me, when I think of, the cornerstones of Iowa beer, maybe they're not the oldest people in, in the scene, but that beer has made so many top 100 lists, so many top 10 lists, has won so many awards. And I think that if you say Top and Goliath, ma- the majority of people would know Pseudo Sue, but potentially some of the more average craft beer drinkers might not know KBBS. Right. And I think this is, this obviously isn't a cross section of all beer drinkers, but I, pretty sure on like beer advocate kbbs morning delight and assassin are all like in the top five of like highest reviewed most reviewed i don't know if someone want to check that while we're on the on the line here but i think that speaks towards in in concert with how good and important pseudo sue is that i mean kbbs is just the whale of whales right now and i think that shines on the rest of the rest of iowa you know, sure. like, yeah. I think that's a, that's, that's, that's really cool for, for us. I'm going to read the top 10 stouts as rated by beer advocate. Hit me. This is a 10 to one monster tones. Oh yeah. Modern, Modern times, times. Right. Yeah. It was all a dream. Jay Wakefield bourbon County. Too silent. Silent. Fundamental observation. Bottle logic. Yes. Barrel aged Imperial German chocolate cupcake stout. Angry chair classic we're in the top five now morning delight toppling blessed anchorage yes abraxas yeah perennial yeah vanilla bean assassin toppling kbbs toppling top five they dominate three i was right that's okay to be right that's okay (laughs) it's fine to be right i you know they also have the benefit of age i mean how long has kbbs been going like long time over a decade right yeah i would and they, assume and they pushed really hard on their branding and pushing like they're doing what like a lot of people like the more hype breweries are doing now expanding out of the state just to like maybe a couple of accounts but they find the most important counts outside of the state yeah and then they built their brand off of 
you know, that as well. Totally. But it's not without merit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, those stouts, the only stout even close to that I've ever had is, um, oh gosh, what are the barrel-aged stouts they do that are just... um, Turmoil? Turmoils, yeah. I've had two or three turmoils, and they're fantastic. Love turmoil. Um, So I know an assassin would absolutely kill. I'm sure KB Bass is true. An assassin would kill. Yes, an assassin would kill, and the beer would kill. In the sense of your palate, it'll destroy it. Um, But no, it's pretty wild to think, like, Topping Goliath has just a massive influence. They brought so much energy and spotlight onto Iowa. However, we have so many other breweries now. Oh, yeah, for sure. Bringing on crazy hype. Yeah, right and now. honestly, I wouldn't not have put Sudosu on mine if they didn't guarantee what we get in Iowa is brewed in Iowa. That was a big right, right. re-push they had to make sure that Iowa consumers knew was that if you're drinking Sudosu in Iowa, you're drinking Sudosu made in Iowa. Yeah. That was like a big controversy oh. for a while, and I'm glad they've gotten through it. That Florida Sudosu was trash. Yeah, and I mean, it, why were we drinking that in Iowa? That's like... That's, yeah, for sure. So I would not have put Sudosu on there unless they actually turned back and actually pushed what they... They didn't promise it, but what I feel like is the promise of a craft brewery. Yeah. yeah. And Sudosu is like... Still, if I go somewhere and I don't know what to get, it'll it's usually a Sudosu. Yeah, don't sure. go to Carl's place and drink a Sudosu, though. Just so you guys know. It'll be very out of date. <laughs> no, you drink a Nordeast or something. Um, what was what, what was, was your methodology, James? It's pretty much just like like speaking right now in this moment for beers that just mean a lot to Iowa craft beer. And I did after I said it, I acknowledged my biases because you know if I had maybe grew up in Dubuque, it'd be different. Sure, I grew up in Sioux City, something like that. You know, that's where I lived. But those four beers that I mentioned are just a mix of classic, like the Shield Brow. You can find that. Damn near anywhere. You used to be able to find it a lot of places. A lot more. I think it, now it's a little... Yep. Ambers have kind of fallen by the wayside, but it's still a very solid beer, and it is findable at many places. It's a good historical relevance in Iowa, too, considering Millstream is like one of the oldest... I think they are the, they oldest, are the oldest brewery in like Iowa. 86 or something like yeah. that. Um, there's oldest Master of Puppets. Classic. Uh, and then the other beers I chose, you know, Des Moines IPA... Pseudo suit we've talked extensively about and uh Ruthie. You know, Exile probably had some of the most wide distribution of the new wave of Iowa craft beer. True. Yeah. And, and Confluence shortly followed. You can literally find Des Moines IPA damn near anywhere in central Iowa. Like it's literally everywhere. Same with Ruthie though. And so that's why I chose them. Like I'm assured when I go anywhere, I'm going to find one of them. Right. So out of any of those four. Shoot, I go to my barber and I find Ruthie in their fridge. <laughs> you go to Franklin? Uh, Paramount. Oh, okay. Yeah. Franklin isn't lending us drinks still. They don't have any drinks? No, not right now because everything's like online. You still can't go into the store. Can't hang out in there yet. They'll get back to it. Oh. But, but you know what beer they did have on tap? when. You could drink in there right before the pandemic. Blanc Fatal. Blanc Fatal, yeah. Oh. I don't say that unless I don't like the beer. It's just like two of those and I am like Yeah, it's a nine percent Belgian yeah. style. Yeah. It's 
I think when I was in, and once again, we acknowledge biases. I went to college in Pella. Knoxville's yeah. right there. Yeah. And like, if you turned 21 or even in Newton after college, like you were drinking a lot of Blanc Fatale. And it's just like, it won the World Beer Cup like the second year of uh, Peace Tree's existence, I believe. Peace Tree's been around for so long. It's their biggest yeah. flagship beer still to this day, I believe, like just for name recognition alone. And I just think that like, I, I knew about that beer before Des Moines IPA. I knew about that yeah, beer sure. before yeah. I knew personally about Pseudo Sue. I knew about that beer before I like even liked craft beer, period. Like you could, I, you could buy six packs of that before Confluence was even canning exactly so yeah. it's just like this beer very regional and where it exists but like in central iowa like back then it it also was just everywhere especially back then and that's another thing with like Shieldbrow is like go back in time it's a historical significance far outweighs like where you can find it now it used to be everywhere blanc fatale used to be everywhere they were pinnacles they are what started pushing people to craft yeah, beer. They sure. got maybe like one person didn't like Blanc Fatale, but you got them into Peace Tree, which got them to try something else. And like my Mount Rushmore is like how they shaped Iowa craft beers history moving forward. And that's why the four I picked are on there. It's like they shaped and defined just like the founding fathers shaped and defined America. These beers shaped and defined and helped pave the way for Iowa craft beer still to this day totally a hundred percent you know i completely agree i mean that's kind of where i was coming from too it's like what made iowa craft beer what it is you know getting into people's mind like you're saying is a very good point right and 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 i mean once again if you're from western iowa you might have different ideas you might have different thoughts northwestern iowa southwestern iowa wherever you're at but like the craft beer boom meant something different to every single person. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I, there were a lot of pillars to stand on and like help pave the way and legislate. And I know, and maybe it's, and this is another we can do in the future, not just the Mount Rushmore of the beer specifically, but the Mount Rushmore of breweries and how they helped shape the thing. Because we could talk about Megan McKay all day and all of her efforts she put into craft beer in Iowa. Oh, do that 100%. too. And Joe, who was the brewer at Peace Tree, and yeah. his representation in brewing the Blanc Fatale for so long. Yeah, totally. Well, listeners, we want to hear from you. What is your Mount Rushmore of Iowa beer? Email us. Actually, do it on socials. Let's do it on socials. Let's do it on yeah. Comment, comment underneath the post. Just hit up our socials. Yeah. Give us your uh, Mount Rushmore. You can even give us a little blurb about your methodology, your why, but we want to know your Mount Rushmore of Iowa beer. Or if you hated our list, why did you hate our list? Yeah, if we were wrong, just let us know. Blurb it up. We'll read our favorite ones on air at the next episode. Yeah, in our next segment. Yeah. So do it, okay? Dang. Yeah. How many times we got to ask? How many times we got to ask? Do it. I'll post it on Instagram as a story. I'll read it out loud. Yeah, I love that. I'll do a dramatic reading of your reasonings for you. We'll have spooky music. Or I mean, inspiring or, music. Or inspiring music. I was going to say, it should be inspiring, hopefully. Or doom-laden music. I guess it depends on how they're coming at us. That's true. It could be very uh, negative light on what makes their Mount Rushmore Mount Rushmore, but... Mm. Hey, 
Because they could go with the people that stomped all over the native lands and you build them out. Because he could take it at a whole different route, which I just now remembered. And, you know, maybe not the great connotation, but we're going to go with the positive side. But if you want to take the negative side, but if you want to take the negative side, please do. Yeah, we want to hear if they stomped all over your thoughts and dreams. Protest the Hero had a song about it. The last album. Very good. Um, That's not what the song's called. I don't remember what the song is right now, actually. It's called the Mount but, Rushmore of Iowa beer. <laughs> that's not the song. Mount Rushmore of Iowa beer. Yeah. Is, is that the wrong genre? Yeah, I think it is. Um. Anyways, guys, we're coming to an end. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about beer for a long time. 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 And just like last time, we're going to end it on a note outside of beer. Yes. In this segment that is still untitled. Yes. Yes. But. I really love the Morloff Musings, though. Morloff Musings is good. That wasn't my idea. I believe it was your idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you guys like Morloff Musings, put a comment down below. Let us know. Let us know. Would you like to start off? If you have ideas for what this segment could be titled, let us know. Comment on socials. Let us know. And as a reminder, this segment is just, just us to talk a little bit about one thing maybe we're looking forward to, we're happy about, something that's happening in our lives outside of beer. Yeah, or something that we have done or enjoyed recently since the last time we've been together. Yeah. I would say mine is I just started playing The Outer Worlds. Oh, yes. Great game. Because all I have is a Switch right now. Mm-hmm. And that's the closest I can get to Fallout. Yeah, how does that perform on Switch? It's fine. I mean, you know, I played New Vegas on a computer that was built eight years ago. Sure. Which, yeah, had a longer draw distance. This looks a lot better than New Vegas, though. Oh, yeah. It does look better. And it is very fun. The gunplay is good. It's really good. I played it on PS4. Loved it. It's so fun. I'm looking forward to the DLC. I heard I was reading a lot about how people said the DLC makes the game even better, a.k.a. just like Fallout 3. Okay, I'll need to check that out because I did not get the DLC. Me neither. I'm just playing through the base game right now. But it's very fun. I like it. It's like in space. Someone called it like Futurama meets Fallout. The humor in it is very Futurama-esque. Lots of very smart, yeah, witty jokes. Yeah, I'm enjoying it a lot. I've put in about five, six hours so far. It's a great length game. Like, I enjoy big, long games that I dedicate a lot of time to, but I feel like there's some games I've played where I've put 100-plus hours, and like 40 of those hours are just filler. And this game is like all gas, no brakes. Like there's no fat. It is a good length. Like it just fires on all cylinders for like 40, like 35, 40 hours. If you, if you mainline it, you're talking 2025. Oh yeah. If you don't want to do everything. And like, to be honest now, nowadays in my life, that length of game is perfect for me. Right. Oftentimes I don't need the hundred hour game and I can't find time where I won't beat them because it's so long. Yeah. But these more, Concise ones, I'm all about yeah. it. Especially when the, the gunplay and everything feels as good as uh, this one does. Oh, yeah. So that's what I loved about Fallout 4. The story was absolute trash and garbage. <laughs> like, I, w- I will say that to the end of my days. But your son, but, father. I Oh, my God. I didn't want to get into it. And I hate the voice protagonist. But the gunplay was great. Yeah. The graphics were a lot better. Yeah. I You really could lose yourself just in the wilds or whatever. Yeah. Just like... Finding upon random things, which I don't see as much. Outer Wilds is a with the Outer game. Worlds, yeah. But very fun. 
does kind of remind me a little bit about New Vegas, which is my favorite entry into the series. Totally. It's some of the same team. Yeah. 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 What I would suggest um, is great. it's, it's a little more linear. So like, yeah, one thing I love about fallout four is just like exploring, finding yeah, new weapons sure. where it's like, Oh, I've already checked out this place, but there's new spawns. There's new weapons here. Mm-hmm. When you explore a place at the outer wilds, Go. Worlds. Like Outer Worlds, sorry, because there's another game. Yeah, that's what I was saying. The Outer Worlds, a different game that's called Outer Worlds. When you Wilds. finish the location, just move on to the next location. Like, don't. You don't yeah, need I had, to like, go back. I had two, like, minor quests at one place, and I'm like, I don't know if it's worth it to go back there. Sure. Just for, like, two small things. I mean, following the quest lines are always interesting because the characterization, the dialogue, all sure. that is so good. But if you like the aspect of Fallout 4, we were like, oh, enemies will respawn. Almost any time I come yep. back to this place, I like uh, farming here. You're not going to get that in this game. So, like, if you have that expectation, change those expectations because that's not the kind sure. of game it is. Well, like Jack was saying, it's a great length, apparently, like you guys are yeah. saying, for, you know, the busy schedule of yeah. a grown man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's mine. Outer or Outer Worlds. Very fun. nice. Yeah, great game. Uh, I'll go next, I suppose. I uh since we last met, I now have four chickens that live in my yard. Oh, what are their names? Uh we've got Gertrude, aka Gertie. We got Tilda Swinten, aka Tildy. Uh <laughs> we've got Millie or Millet Ficent, like Millet Grain. It's yeah. Millie. <laughs> and then we got one that was already named and she's kind of got an attitude. Her name is Corduroy, aka Gordy. That's a great name. I thought the the millet scent. Yeah. You're gonna do millet Bobby Brown. No, it's not millet Bobby <laughs> Brown. Uh, I came up with Millie first, and then we did millet scent, and then uh, yeah. So that's that's the four. They're already giving us eggs. Oh yeah, they got toods. They all got toods. Like one of them will just stand on top of their water and look inside the window at me. I wake up in the morning. I look outside, and she's already standing there looking at me, going, "Be like, let <laughs> us out, idiot." I'm like, "Whoa, get out of here!" And then Tilda Swinton stole half my sandwich today yeah. at lunch <laughs> stole it out of my hands like literally i'm having a ham and cheese outside letting them be outside enjoying the nice weather and out of nowhere she's just wandering up i'm about to shoo her away she rushes forward steals half my sandwich and runs away had to get it back from her because she shouldn't be eating ham uh she ate part of the bread and then she had mustard all over her beak for like like i don't <laughs> know hilarious. how long but they're wonderful. They're weird creatures. So is like all of your social media, con- your personal social media content going to be Farmer Jack content? It could be. I haven't really posted much on my personal so one see, yet. I haven't seen yeah. one picture of these chickens. Well, you know, you'll just have to watch out for my social media channels in the future for more chicken content. You need to start an Instagram for each one. Uh, no, that's not. <laughs> they won't even let me touch them, let alone take pictures of them. I've got some moody pictures, but that's about it. Yeah, they're... Uh, but they're fun. They're they're really interesting. Uh, got them from a gentleman in Waterbury. Got all their stuff, the the the, the coop and everything for 150 bucks. Nice. You just have them for eggs? Yeah, and pets. They're cute. Do you let them in the house? No, god no. Chickens are poopy and dirty. I've heard of some people having um pet ducks. Yeah, ducks are a little bit more manageable though, and you can actually train them better to use litter boxes and stuff, but chickens just they take poops wherever they want. Ducks are some of my were some of my favorite animals as a child. Ducks are they cool. might still be. I like a duck. They got attitude. They got strength. 
Well, if you want to meet a chicken with attitude, powerful. I got a chicken with attitude. Her name is Corduroy. They're inspiring. <laughs> she lays blue eggs. And they can oh. swim. Yeah, she's an Easter egger. She, oh, nice. She lays blue eggs, but she's also the top of the pecking order, so she's... The attitude's terrible. How are the eggs? Good. Good. They were a little bit thin-shelled when we got them, which doesn't really surprise me. The family wasn't... The family's daughter was the one taking care of them, and they stopped really wanting to take care of them, but now they're we're feeding them better feed. And calcium and stuff, so the eggs are starting to get better. They're dark. Uh, there's brown ones, there's white ones, and then there's blue ones. I mean, the yolk. Oh, very orange. dark. Yeah, yeah, very dark. Nice. I would love for you to make some deviled eggs with those. I could, and I could bring them in. Snackies. That'd be great. Maybe I'll make them for the next Morloff. That'd be amazing. Actually, I could probably make no. them and bring them to Lua, and I you could do should. a competition. Can we do a blind taste competition on whose deviled Ooh. eggs are better next week? Yeah. Of Lua's. Kim Chase. Michelin star chef <laughs> deviled eggs versus my deviled eggs. Yeah. Do you guys like should. do you guys like pickles? Uh what do you mean? Pickles. Do you like pickles? Well, how are you do you like them in the pickles? Eggs? I don't do like, you like pickles. pickled eggs. I like some things pickled. Oh, my strategy is yeah, ruined then because I had to, I have to think of a way to make these ones slightly better, and I was going to pickle the eggs well, and then it, make deviled it. eggs no, out of them. Do it. Oh yeah, you could do that. Yeah, and they'd Ooh. be very good, but if you don't You're like pickles. You're losing me as a judge. Yeah. What about uh, uh wow like uh so like soy eggs like uh it's sometimes done with ramen oh what like is a tea cooked uh, egg yeah or, yeah like soy that. soy boiled eggs oh, those are good like those are normally cool. duck eggs though yeah yeah which are also very Richer, good I assume hmm? I very, assume yeah. duck eggs are oh, way yeah. rich much, oh yeah. yeah fattier too yeah so I grew up on a farm and my dad would raise about a hundred chickens every what? every other year yeah I got four yeah well no see he didn't he didn't. It was not. It wasn't for laying. They were for butchering to get the meat. And so every other year, from like early elementary school through junior high, in the late summer, early fall, I was a part of the butchering process. Oh, so it was oh, me, okay. my dad, my grandparents, and my mom. So butchered was, all uh, these chickens. Yeah, about a uh, just just shy of a hundred. I mean, not all one hundred made it to full full growth, but uh, my dad would. Dad would butcher them, and then we would be giving them away to family members, friends, all that jazz, and then whatever we had left over outside of what we would keep, we would then sell to whoever wanted them. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, I've never had layers. With my four, that ain't happening. They're more like pets. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, for sure. These were not Yeah, don't worry. These were feral. (laughs) I absolutely enjoyed some chicky nuggies last week from Bebop's while going, hmm. Should I still be okay with this? And I went, yeah, I, yeah, yes, I can. And I dipped and I ate. So what's what's uh what's your thought for the week? Yeah, so I have been, I've liked, I've loved scotch for a while, but in the past handful of months, I've been getting into bourbon, which is fun, but also c- could be a problem for my bank account. <laughs> But I stopped by a liquor store because they had a they had a barrel select. Um, they've been getting their own barrels and special releases that they have sold, and they had some samples of their most recent special releases from a distill. Uh, they're not a distillery. I think they're a blend. They're a blender. So they get stuff and and blend it together. Yeah, probably from MGP. Or yeah, something. and I've wanted to try their stuff for a long time. Their stuff is a barrel craft spirits, and so they're hmm. it's called barrel bourbon. And this liquor store got two different ones. One was a single barrel, and another one was like a limited reserve 
barrel proof. And I just got to have a couple samples of them. And it was probably two of my favorite bourbons I've ever tasted, which was awesome getting to try that. But also sucky because they each cost like $105. Oh, wow. That sounds about right. So (laughs) I uh, told my wife like, hey, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe if those are still on the shelf around Christmas time, that might be a, a gift idea. But it was just it was just fun getting to try something that I have been excited about and have been looking forward to trying at some point. And so it was cool getting a chance to try it, and it lived lived up to my hype, lived up to my expectations. It's always good when things can live up to your whatever level of hype or level of expectations that you have, because it's always really disappointing to be like, "Oh man, I want this thing," and then it's just like, mm. "Yeah." Yeah, there was to a degree where I was like, I kind of get why people would spend $100 for this. Like, it definitely did not, f- still a lot of money, but like, it felt sure. I mean, it's closer not like a to appropriate. Thinker. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It felt closer to appropriate than most of the bourbon that is like getting secondary prices right, right. now. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure, like, what blows my mind is like, what? Four, five, six years ago, Blaine's Eagle Rare other Buffalo Trace brands would sit and would go for regular MSRP. Oh, yeah. Now, yep. last year, last last year, coming up here soon in November, Black Friday, that's when Bourbon County's released. Yeah. Never been to that release before. Grace and I were like, eh, let's go. Let's get up. Let's get up early. We'll go there for fun. Have breakfast afterwards. Went to the fairway in Norwalk, and they had like two or three bottles of bourbon or uh, Blanton's and they were selling them for like $150 a piece. Holy hell. I was like, what the hell? And people, it was, it was all gone. Right. By the time, like they also had like some 1792. Like the only one I wanted, if it was still there, I told Grace, I was like, if there's sweet wheat, 1792, I'm going to buy it. Gone. Was there? Oh, no, all gone. The only thing that was left was like, just kind of some basic brands or whatever. Yeah, unless you're going to go stand in those lines before it opens, like you're no, out of we were No, we got there like 15 minutes before like the store opened at like 7 or whatever. Yeah, but so no. I love, I really enjoy hunting for Bourbon County. I've got a few friends where we will like go around and see what variants we can find. This past year, my, so my wife is from Pennsylvania. This past year for Thanksgiving, we were out in Pennsylvania oh. for Thanksgiving in her small town she grew up in. And I was like, well, I still got to get Bourbon County. So I went around to a couple places before Thanksgiving and was like, hey, are you guys getting Bourbon County in? They're like, oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. And then this one guy was like, yeah, I'll be getting the regular stuff in. But you can see I still have some from last year. No one's buying it off my shelf. Oh, that's the best. (laughs) And he's like, but there's a a lady up the street where she owns a place and – there was one. There was one. Uh, there was one variant that they were trying to get me to buy, where it was like fifty dollars a bottle. I wasn't going to spend that kind of money, and I was like, okay, I'm going to be going there. <laughs> yeah, no there. kidding. So I went to the spot, like when it opened at like nine a.m., and they had base Bourbon County, two of like the regular variants that we mm-hmm. we got in Iowa. So Check. like the Bar- the, cola, the cola version and the Cherrywood version. Oh, okay. Yes, which were delicious those are all really good they had those just like a handful of cases of each mm-hmm. and then they had the uh the double barrel elijah craig oh my variant. god and i was the only person 
that bought Bourbon County at that store all day. And so I just got as much as I wanted Dude. because no one else That's was amazing. buying it. And there was no like purchase limit. Cause like here in, here in central Iowa and yeah. Des Moines, like they're oh, always yeah. like, yeah, oh, you yeah, limit, limit one. Yeah. It's going to yep. be gone immediately. And so I was kind of talking with Jamie joking, like, I think every Thanksgiving we should go visit your parents. Let's go, vi- let's go visit your parents. And so like I was able to, you know, bring some tasty stuff yeah. back to my friends because they That's weren't amazing. able to buy it. So I think I came back with three bottles of the double barrel Elijah Craig variant um, because other people were, were able to get it. it. I don't think that one came to Iowa last year. I don't remember. No, it didn't. It at all, yeah. I think it was a higher alcohol percentage. Yeah. So that's why we only got the regular variants last year. Yeah, because I think I think here we got Cherrywood, Cola, and 14. Yeah, and I still have a bottle of each of them at home, yeah. too. Yeah. 14 is fantastic. Well, guys. Yeah, we did we it. We did it again. Woo. We, we more loft. And uh, we're, we're excited. Uh, we've been getting very good engagement uh, for this. Please continue to support us. Tell your friends. Leave a review. As another reminder, we are available on like every podcast platform. Thanks to Nathan. He absolutely jammed that out. So you can find us pretty much anywhere. Just search for the Vorloff Hour. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, any third-party player that you currently use, we should be there. And if we're not, let us know, and we'll, we'll yeah. figure out how to get on there. We'll get on there. So please continue to engage with us. Like we said, questions, concerns, comments criticism you know send it to the vorloff hour at gmail.com or the vorloff hour at iowabeer.org you can find us on instagram facebook and twitter yeah at the vorloff hour look it up you'll find us uh we're pretty active you know with comments and stuff you know posting we're working on um thanks again for listening uh, in a few weeks time you will be hearing our interview with Lua Brewing, actually. Uh, so this beer that we had for the Cellar Challenge, kind of a nice preview. So we're talking to our buddy Zach. Um, pretty exciting times, and I hope you guys enjoyed the Bright Side episode. But we leave you with that, and all I can say is stay crispy. Stay crispy. Ooh. Ooh. Seller to this today. Jesus Christ. Right. You want another go with this thing? Yeah, yeah, I got you. Don't feel bad for the floor. I can vacuum tomorrow. Yeah. Jeez. We need to like remelt it almost. <laughs> no! Um, I'm not even down yes. to the bottle or bottle cap yet. Oh, that's a good strategy. Yeah. Cut down to the wax. Cut down to the Like carve it away. Here. Whittling. Oh, he might have unveiled the cap. Yep, I found it. He found it. <laughs> Fresh blade on that knife, and now it's getting ruined. Classic. Blast. Shit. There we go. Oh. Oh, I heard a hit. Nice. I heard a hiss. Okay, well. <laughs>
Just just open it. It'll be fine. I'm pretty sure they do their stouts still anyway, so. Do they? <laughs> or there's minimal carbon. <laughs> It's too thick to pull? <laughs> yes. Hey, don't cut yourself. Yeah. If I cut myself in here, I can uh, claim a uh, workman's cap. Yeah. Oh, hey! I will be fair. Oh, 